This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, every major power is racing to be the next on the moon, and NASA is turning to the private sector to make it happen. Andrew C. Ferreira helps us, explains why Jeff Bezos lures in what they're looking to build for NASA and why it could speed up our journey to the moon, by the way. Handy Andy Barrar is Canada's DIY gardener. We learned how he's overly excited about something new that we never expected, like totally out of left field and very excited about it. It's coming up here on the Shift Daily Podcast Plus. Are you okay with Andrew Ferreira is weird. So weird, he loves science more than sleep and other people. It's time for Andrew Ferreira's Weird Science. Hey, buddy. Open up the cage, set them free. Uh, yeah. Hi. Hey, buddy. What's uh, what's going on in uh, Andrew's weird world of uh, strange nerdiness? I don't know. I I made I made pork chops. Oh, very exciting. Well they done. They're pretty good. They're pretty good. Just marinated in some white wine with garlic and shallot and oregano and lemon. It's good stuff. Wow. Um, space nerd uh, living's pretty good these days. Uh, well, only because it was thirty percent off because it was going to go bad tomorrow. Well done, sir. Very well Thank done. Thank you. This is Thank why you. we bring Andrew on. Really, is this riveting storytelling that just blows your mind? Never, never look past those those coupons. If you're gonna if you're gonna eat it tonight, there's no shame in doing that. Uh, I would agree with you. Coupons, coupons will save the day all the time. Uh, although it is fascinating, your culinary uh, expertise. It's not why we bring you on. Um, lots going on in space, buddy. You've been paying close attention. I'm assuming. Uh, yeah, a little bit. And by a little bit, I mean, I have like eight tabs always open. It's, it's a lot. Are we talking about a browser? Is this like your brain? Uh, yes. And yes. Perfect. Well, let's start with tab number one, shall we? Andrew. Andrew is a uh, space guy, space nerd, loves all things space, follows things. Andrew's the guy, you know, you have the friend who wakes up early in the morning to watch the F1 race or that other friend who gets up to watch that football match from, you know, Manchester or something on TV. Andrew's the guy who gets up that early in the morning to watch a rocket ship take off. Kind of the same thing. It, it's pretty cool. I'd argue it's, well, I mean, it's a lot more time efficient because I can mm. just go to bed after about 12 minutes. Well, but the games usually always happen on time and don't wait for four days. So, well, that's true. Balance. Um, where do you want to start here, bud? With tab number one, you want to talk about going to the moon or, or yeah. what's on your mind? Yeah, let's talk about that. Let's talk about the moon because the moon is uh, its all the rage nowadays. It's, you know, party like it's 1968 uh, and we're all trying to beat the Soviet Union to the moon. But instead of the nice. Soviet Union, um, it is uh, everyone, kind of. <laughs> the the moon race is really heated up here uh and we're seeing you know bids come in from countries that we'd never really thought before would ever make a you know a real leap at the moon uh in the last few weeks or last uh, month or so actually uh japan tried to land on the moon as well and they're they're we believe that the lander crashed on a uh on landing which is a shame but they were looking to put the very first private payload down uh on the moon and that didn't work so japan's got its foot in the race israel uh, has had crash landings before. Uh, India and China, India is not far behind in China's. They've already got a whole bunch of moon stuff going. Um, but looking, you know, closer towards, you know, the United States, um, they're really relying on the private sector, right? Um, so just, you know, today-ish, instead of saying today yes, we'll just go with today-ish. Um, NASA actually chose its second uh, lunar lander. Um, and now... NASA is kind of transitioning its role from being the be-all, end-all. Um, you know, you come to us for your research. We'll give you the rocket. We'll give you the lander. We'll give you everything. And, you know, we'll just we'll green light it, shake your hand, and send you off. Uh, but NASA is kind of becoming a science research expertise only body. And they're essentially leaning on the private sector to uh, get the hard work done. Um, to their credit, they've already greenlit... Um, SpaceX's Starship, which exploded magnificently uh, last month. Uh, that's going to be the very first lunar lander that they're going to be putting down as part of Artemis 4. Uh, and then Artemis 5, they've actually just selected Blue Origin. Uh, and Blue Origin, if you're unaware, is the company uh, that is led by everybody's favorite wannabe uh, James Bond villain, Jeff Bezos. Um, <laughs> he just he just looks the part. It's it's honestly perfect. Um, but so engaged, by the way. Congratulations, Bezos. <laughs> Good for him, and more importantly, good for his partner, um, <laughs> for being honest. Yeah. Um, 
probably a prenup on that one, I'm guessing. Oh, I yeah, there's no way. Um, but they've just selected uh, Blue Origin to land their second lunar lander. Uh, and one thing that actually interested me, and if you go to NASA's website, you'll be able to see it. It kind of looks like a, I don't know, like a really, really tall version of the Eagle Landers that you remember from the Apollo mission days. It looks like a very tall version of that. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that strikes me is this, is this is not what the Blue Origin lander originally looked like. Uh, a number of years ago, uh, they released uh, a mock-up of the Blue Origin lander. They called it Blue Moon. Um, and it looks nothing like it does in the NASA rendering. So it's gone through an intensive uh, redesign ever since that first reveal. Was this the uh, this was the giant phallic reveal that um, that they is this the same unit that they were talking about? Or is this a different one? Because there was an awful lot of teasing going on um, of how it appeared, what it appeared to resemble. On I mean, yeah, it, it to be fair. Phallic is an excellent shape for rocket. I, I don't. Yeah. If you look look at the SpaceX Falcon, it looks like a phallus. Mm-hmm. Let's be real, right? People just sure. like to pick on Jeff Bezos, and honestly, same. I also like to pick on Jeff Bezos. Mm-hmm. Um, but the new redesign looks a lot more in line with what we expect from a NASA product. It's extremely. It's almost Spartan in its design. It's got the traditional gold cladded insulation legs. It's got uh, a very robust, almost boring. Um, architecture, unlike Blue Moon, which originally was like this bulbous, horrible, big thing, which I thought looked pretty nifty. Um, but they've pared it down and made it, you know, easy, quote unquote, and accessible uh, to get down to the moon. And they're hoping to have it down by 2029. Now, six years is a pretty tight time frame uh, because we don't know how far along Blue Origin is in building, you know, anything with regards to this. I haven't seen anything yet. Um, so I'm going to assume that they're in the very early stages. So six years from, you know, probably scale models to on the lunar surface, uh, that's going to be a quick turnaround. Uh, but that's exactly why NASA has, uh, more and more over the years now, uh, gone to the private sector, um, because nobody can beat the private sector in agility, uh, and speed. So if anyone's going to be able to do it, I, I think they can do it. Um, and the total award value, by the way, is $3.4 billion, uh, dollars. Um, So it's a good chunk of change heading uh, Blue Origin's way to help make this work. Do we know even how that works? I mean, a lot of people have asked the question. I mean, what does it mean when they talk about, you know, these partnerships? Are are these for-profit companies getting sort of socialist grant money to build these things? Or are they getting the go-ahead to build it and then they're getting paid by NASA to take this stuff up there? Do we even know how that works? Yeah, so... And at least in the case of Blue Origin, uh, with this specific one, I can at least kind of go in and say a little bit about how uh, the $3.4 billion is essentially a, it is in a, in a lot of ways, it's a payment. It's a payment to Blue Origin to furnish uh, their their lander from beginning to end, you know, drawing board to surface of the moon. Uh, but Blue Origin has said uh, publicly that they're actually, their own internal investment is north of $3.4 billion. So it's likely that this is an $8 billion-ish total project. Uh, and that is honestly kind of the amount that we should be looking at for these kinds of projects. It's incredibly money-intensive to send stuff into outer space. Uh, but the good news is uh, is that as we get better and better at this, uh, that price will eventually come down. As we get better at figuring out what works and what doesn't, how to make things uh, work that much faster, that much easier, uh, those prices will eventually come down. But still... From NASA's end, three point four billion is a, uh, you know, I could buy like a couple of cases of like sparkling water and have a few bucks left over. A couple, yeah, for sure, absolutely. Um, At least a couple. It seems like an awful lot of money. So, okay, so they're going to give the lander part. Other partnerships do the other bits. Yeah. So basically, it's calling this the Blue Origin mission is kind of incorrect because it's actually a whole bunch. Uh, of separate companies essentially working together here. So like Lockheed Martin's got a, a, a piece in this, a company called Dynetics. And Dynetics has done a lot of space robotics. Um, I believe Boeing has uh, an arm in this one as well. Um, and I think in the original, when they were first bidding for the first lunar lander, they called this the um, the national team, of course, American national team, because it had like eight or nine individual companies essentially pitching in together. Uh, to build this thing. And it also goes to show you just how much uh, more far along the line SpaceX's um, concept was 
that it was able to beat out all of these companies working together just by themselves. Huh. Um, but still, it, it's multiple companies doing essentially little bits and pieces of it. I know that Lockheed Martin's uh, contribution is going to be something to do with um, in-flight fueling because they're going to need to refuel in space. Um, and this is probably something that you're going to start to get used to hearing about uh, is spacecraft refueling in space. It's fun fact. It's cheaper to do it that way. Um, you know, every pound you can shed uh, from your spacecraft as it launches from the Earth will save you tons of moolah. Okay, so if you let can me just, ask you a very yeah. simple question about that. So, okay, that makes sense to me, right? Because then you don't have to pull all this extra weight off the Earth when you've got to go. Airplanes do they it go. all the time. Airplanes do it with fuel. Airplanes also do it with water, the water that you use to wash your hands or whatever, make coffee. Um, they, they do that. And so that that's really smart. That's a great way to be efficient. But they still have to get it up there. I mean, unless they're going to run a giant hose gonna run a hose eh? up to the up to the space gas giver there pull the trigger hope it's got the little latch so you can just leave it open and go have a smoke but like this is the kind of like they've still got to get the fuel off of earth somehow and then they've got to get it up there in order to refuel it have they figured that part out yet yeah i would argue that part's probably the, the most far along um you look at spacex's falcon launches for instance it's already pulling thousands of pounds of stuff into orbit with nobody on board Right. And one of the easiest and most surefire ways to cut back on both weight and therefore cost is just to not have people on it. Um, no need for that pesky life support stuff. Um, so you could theoretically just send a whole bunch of Falcon rockets, which are already relatively cheap to send up there, just essentially full of fuel uh, to park at some kind of orbit uh, far above the Earth and then have uh, your human crew. Uh, come up in a rocket with only enough fuel to get, you know, to low Earth orbit or whatever it is, and then refuel from those rockets uh, in in low Earth orbit. Uh, and that technology is actually, uh, SpaceX has been trying to develop that for a while here. And I know that they want to start trying that once they start getting starships into space without blowing up. I guess my question is, it still weighs the same if it goes up in your skinny little Ferrari rocket or if it goes up in the heavy-duty Hercules rocket. It still weighs the same to get there. I guess that's kind of my question. Yeah, still weighs the same, but of course, economies of scale, right? If you can, you know, pack, you know, a, the bigger the rocket, uh, the more cost-effective it will be, right? Um, though, of course, at the beginning, who knows how much Starship launches will actually cost? We have no idea. Uh, we do know how much uh, those delightful Falcon launches cost, and, and they're in the in the tens of millions of dollars, which is ludicrously cheap when you consider that uh, uh, one, just one uh, space launch system uh, launch, you know, NASA's uh, quote-unquote new and upgraded uh, moon rocket, um, one launch is just more than $2 billion on that bad boy. So Okay. Yeah. Um, wow, fascinating. Andrew C. Ferreira is our guest right now. It is weird science and privatization in space is is really a thing it's been going on for a while as far as we we haven't really known right I, we were looking backwards in time at the space shuttle and the partnerships that built that way back in the day there's been another private astronaut crew docking at the space station so it is continuing yeah so it's the axiom crew uh axiom is a company um that's doing a lot of really cool stuff actually uh, in their realm of private space flight they want to have their own private space station uh, for, you know, fun and research all in one. I mean, nothing gets me going quite like the prospect of research and a vacation all in one. Um, so they've got that going for them. Uh, there's also uh, private flights obviously offered through SpaceX themselves. Um, there's going to be the uh, Dear Moon mission, which is coming up in the next few years, which is, uh, I think it was bought out by a Japanese billionaire and he like auditioned for people. Uh, to join him on his trip around the moon, and all those seats have been mm, awarded. Mm -hmm. um, so we're, 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 I'd argue we're already at a point where the average person can go to space. You just got to get real lucky. Um, or, you know, suddenly wake up with a silver spoon in your mouth and $27 billion in your bank account. <whistles> uh, would be nice. You could buy a whole lot of sparkling water with that. Um, at least three or four cases. Um but a lot of the, you know, the movement that we're, I think, eventually going to see, it's going to be like the very wee early days 
Um, and of course, this is an imperfect analogy, but I think it's going to be very close to the early days of, of passenger flights, right? We saw that, you know, traversing the world through an airplane uh, was not all that luxurious. They tried to make it that way. It was not all that comfortable. They tried to make it that way. Uh, you had to do lots of really weird stopovers because the planes couldn't travel, you know, across the Pacific Ocean in one go. But you could do it. And I think that's kind of the stage that we're going to be entering with space travel in the next 15 or so years, where you can do it, it'll cost you a whole lot, and it'll be open only for those of us um, who, you know, they go to the store and don't immediately look for the 30% off coupons. Oh. Uh, they're the folks who, you know, go straight to the organic aisle and spend without uh, regard. They can um, afford the sparkling water, one might say. They, they can afford the, the sparkling water in the glass bottles. I know. So I think that'll be where we're going for the next 10 to 15 years. But I think, you know, by the time that, you know, you and I are both probably going to be dead by then. Um, Ooh, you know. But, you know, I think, you know, 50 plus years on from now, uh, we're going to be looking at a realm where, you know, very brief visits to low Earth orbit are quite possible for, you know, simply the well-off, not just the astronomically wealthy. Get it? Because space, astronomically wealthy. Um, very good. Nice thank touch. you. Thank you. I, uh, I worked on that one for days. Um, I think that we're still decades away from that. But the inherent risk that comes with space is essentially this, I think, this incredibly magnified version of what we encountered with air travel. Uh, you know, whereas in air travel, we could go from, you know, the hyper wealthy to the average person taking these flights in, you know, less than half a human lifetime. Uh, I'd be willing to bet that for space flight, it'll probably be on the order of two or three human lifetime. Oh. So I think by the time we're hitting 2100, um, space flight will probably be somewhat available to most folks. Um, but it really does depend on stuff like uh, private manufacturing, right? Manufacturing in space is a huge one. Uh, resource extraction. Um, there's a whole lot of ethical, uh, you know, quandaries to go through when it comes to the moon, at least. Uh, but asteroids, as far as we can tell, are free game right now. So if we can start mining asteroids, and I know that people, there was that asteroid mining hubbub <laughs> hype that came down a few years ago. Yeah. Uh, that's still very real. It's just kind it's of in its lull phase right now. But I think yeah. in, you know, that first in the next 30 years, we'll start to see that bit by this bit. That's great. I love it. Andrew C. Ferreira, I appreciate you being here. This is really awesome. Nice to see that we've learned nothing from colonialism. Um, thank you for being here on The Shift. Yeah, you know, if you don't learn from history, you're doomed to repeat it, yada, yada, yada. But if it's space and it makes you money, it's oh, a free pass. Oh, boy. <laughs> All right. Thanks, pal. All right. See ya. This is The Shift Podcast. Big fat jazz hands. Not only is he here, not only can you find him online at handyandymedia.com, but you also uh, will find a fresh-faced, cleanly shorn chin of Handy Andy Barrar. Hey, buddy. How are you, Shane? I'm good. You did. You took off the uh, you took off the chin. You've uh, cleaned it up, and um, you've gone against your roots and took off the beard, and your winter beard is gone. Winter beard is gone. Spring is here. You know, it seemed fitting with May long weekend. And I actually have a story of how it started, Shane. I was uh, outside in the yard trimming my hedges and uh, made a nice, just you missed you know, on the perfect hedges? line. Yeah. You know, you were like, you... I'm going to do my chin. Well, well, I did that. <laughs> then my neighbor's house, I noticed that her hedges were kind of sticking over the sidewalk. So I went to her and I'm like, hey, you know, the bylaw officer could like give you some trouble if you want. I'll go ahead and trim those for you. So she's like, okay. So I was like in this mode where I was just trimming everything. And then I went inside to take a shower and I wasn't done yet. So I trimmed my beard off. I just was in that, that wow, Edward eh? Scissorhand kind of mode. I couldn't stop. <laughs> That's so good. All right. So tell us, uh, okay, uh, your face looks handsome. Good for you. Um, you look good with a beard too, though. The So tell us about your straight lines on on the hedges. Do you use the strings? How do you do it? No. Um, so last year, like I used to rent one of those hedge trimmers from Home Depot all the time. You can get the one with the really long pole too. So you can get those nice lines. Um, but then finally last year, you know, I, I have all these DeWalt battery power tools. And then I saw that they have a hedge trimmer 
that's battery powered. So I already have the battery. So I just oh, went and bought the tool. Of course. Best, and that was a gift I gave to myself for my birthday. Best investment ever because I didn't realize just how much I enjoy trimming hedges because it's so rewarding, Shane. You know, you're gonna have to clip that out and save that because that is the strangest thing we've heard on this show for, <laughs> and we have strange things that happen on this show. Oh. Anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt with your enthusiasm here. I, I don't you're know what excited. it is. I just really, really enjoy trimming hedges. Like I will drive down the street and then look at people's hedges and think, oh. If I could just get my hands on that, the things I could do to that hedge, like I can really, eh? I can get this perfect, like you know, like those old high tops they have in the nineties, those haircuts, you know, where it's like oh yeah, high top style. fade, yeah, 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 like that's what I want to do, and I see some kid hedges, play style, yeah. So you. wow. So I, anyways, I was trimming my hedges, and it came out real. I was I should make a little video of it. Hey, maybe I should post it next yeah. week. And yeah, Andy Andy's head, head trimming. But right. here's the thing. And well, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. You don't get to throw a kid and play without. We don't get to throw this out. Here Yo, play go. got something to say. All right, y'all, all right, y'all. Let's get this together because it ain't going to last forever. <laughs> this is you know Andy. Yo, yo, this is what he listens to when he's doing his hedges. Yeah. Taking it back. Old school. Ah. So yes. if you are of this generation, you know exactly what this is. This is the new Jack Swing era, early 90s. Yeah. Great, um, hang on. The, uh, there was, uh, uh, those hip hop specials that are on Netflix, by the way, they have, uh, a, a couple of them have really great stories about new Jack Swing when it hit, um, yeah. and that, that era of music. So, oh, anyway. I love it. That, that, that's what I grew up on, Chase. I used to dance in my living room, do the running man. You know, I had all the moves. I still yeah. got it. Yeah, That's probably why I like jumping on. rope. Yeah. Little Motown Philly. Oh, okay. yeah, that was it. Hey, fun fact. Here's a fun fact. So that Netflix show that you're talking about where they did that profile on Boys to Men, mm. the production company is based out in Toronto. They reached out to me and they asked me to whistle at uh, the end of the road. And they were going to use it into that film because they had no people kind of sing it. Yeah. So I actually sent them a tape of me whistling that, uh, but it never made the cut, unfortunately. When it was on that's Netflix, I got so happy, and then <laughs> I didn't. I didn't make the cut. Oh, that's too bad. That's funny. Anyway, Annie was talking about hedges before I so rudely interrupted. Yes. You love the Sorry. hedges. Uh, you, lo- I don't know, whatever you were saying. It was great. I love how you. Um, I love your love. Yeah, for no. So I, I was just in this he- like I, and I, I didn't realize just how much I enjoy it. And like I took all. I had these cedar hedges, so I kind of. Did a nice trim. And so sometimes like there's little holes in the hedge where you want it to fill in. And that's the great thing about cedar is that it grows really fast. So then I start tying them up and like, you know, taking the branches and looping them around so that they'll grow into each other. It's very rewarding. I got, I don't know, something therapeutic about trimming hedges that um, I'm, I'm like team hedge. So if you need to get yourself like a fence do a green fence, you know, make the investment, especially if you bought a new place and you're going to live there for a long time, buy hedges. And the great thing about them is, you know, city bylaws will say you can only have like a fence that's, you know, six feet high. But mm-hmm. with hedges, you just let them go, man. You could have a fortress. If you really don't like your neighbor, you could, you know, create a nice 12 foot <laughs> wall of hedge. That's so good. Uh, fascinating. Okay. Well, this is not why we were here, but there it is. So let's uh, use this segue to talk about the plant piece that you've got here. Um, um, to, to dig into this more, cause you actually have some plants in particular, uh, that are, unless that's was the cedar part to go into this, this sort of yeah. living fence idea. I love this idea when you have, see, I love vines, right? Like I, I realized that for some buildings, they were really bad for building, but some of them, they yeah. weren't. So it, you got to know what sort of breeds you're working with. My plants, like we've been talking about the sort of hardening them, as you described, I've been working on that. The pineapples are all of full sun now. So far, they're not dead like the last two years. And needing some regrowth. Um, but then we got hit with these storms. So I have no idea. I'm even afraid to look to see what the status of my baby plants out there with all this rain. So making progress, though. I have made more progress in the last week than I did the first few weeks because uh, everything's going. Steve uh, from North Van, who is all over us all the time, every time yeah. we do a segment of gardening, always says, Andy's got to grow bok choy. Andy's got to grow bok choy. And he's got to grow bok choy. And then, so what I did is to get Steve to take a chill pill, Phil, 
Um, I did grab bok choy seeds, so I do have some baby pods of bok choy growing right now just to see if I can. Oh, nice. That's yeah. not fair. Now I have to grow a bok choy now too. And then nah, we can like, don't worry. we could share. Yeah. Steve sends me emails all the time. Um, so I, I should definitely take his advice and then do that. I need to get some new varieties of stuff that I'm growing. I'm growing way too much lettuce, Shane. And you know what the thing is? It's all grown at the same time. Like there's mm. only so much lettuce you can eat in a day. It's getting ridiculous. So I'm trying, mm. people come over and I just give them bags of produce. I'm like, here, mm. take some lettuce home, you know? So yeah. Bok choy might be um, a good a good option to grow. I love bok choy because you just kind of throw it in when you're done cooking your stir fry or your soup. You just cut it, well, clean it, cut it, and then just throw it in when it's hot. You don't have to cook it, right? It's yeah. so good that way. Anyway, uh, living fences. Is there anything else that add to that list other than the ones that we talked about there with uh, with the hedges? Well, one of the benefits of having a living fence, you know, having a green fence is it provides wind protection. It helps with soil erosion. It attracts birds and other pollinators. Plus, it's it's just nicer to look at. The only thing, and that's what I mentioned before, it does require some upkeeping. You're going to have to prune it. You're going to have to trim it. But there are advantages of having a living fence. And one, like I mentioned, you can go really, really high with them. There's really no bylaw that prevents you from, you know, having a you know a living kind of wall going up high. So you can't do that with a traditional fence. You can't go and get a 12 foot or 10 foot wooden fence. They won't allow that. But if it's a live, you know, plant, like, and the, the kinds that, that really work are laurel, boxwood. There's another one called privet. I had to look all these up, Shane, because I don't know them by name. But as soon as I looked at the images, I recognize them because you see them in a lot of households. But if you are in the market um, to put a fence up, it's something worth considering, especially maybe talk to your neighbor and see if they would want a green fence rather than, you know, the traditional cedar fence. Because those two, over time will will you know deteriorate so having a green fence just makes a lot of more sense if you can do it it just mm -hmm. takes time for that to grow but um yeah it's a great investment over time i remember from 20 years ago some of the houses the you know the different farmhouses you drive by here in alberta you'd see them and they would have all these little trees and you're like oh god it takes forever but then now 20 30 years later boy yeah. oh boy you talk about well-grown in little privacy spots right yeah, yeah, and then you could tell that some people are really into trimming hedges because they'll have the perfect, it's like a perfect little wall. Mm -hmm. um, I love looking at that. That That's kind of something I, I probably would like to have one day. That's, um, you're really enthusiastic about this. Like, I, know, <laughs> I haven't I heard just, you this excited in a long time. I didn't realize it, Shane. Like, I'm just out there trimming hedges, and I'm like, wow, like, this is, this makes me really, really happy. And I, maybe it's because I've gotten good over with it over the years i got these nice lines i get up right on the on the ladder you know and just i don't know i don't know what it is jane i'm really into it <laughs> sounds like we're going to be changing the theme of the segment okay we're going to let andy cool down for a minute here and we're going to come back and talk about saving your iphone some technology things uh, let's get into the technology of the phones we've chatted about this a lot lately andy uh this right to repair we've had some um, incredible guests on standing for right to repair involved with the um, the um, lobbying for right to repair making sure that these technology companies go back to the world where things can be repaired not only from the ability to have us not spend as much money but at the perspective of waste so um, we're starting to see more of different versions of this it's different everywhere we go what do you got yeah, well, one country is really pushing for the right to repair, and that's France. Um, they have been investigating Apple for a long time. Every time a new iPhone comes, the government of France, they have a little division that starts looking at it. And what they're finding is it is getting harder and harder to fix these iPhones. They always put new parts in that makes it next to impossible for, your, for anybody to kind of like DIY it or just to go to your, your neighborhood repair shop to get it fixed. And typically what happens is you have to go to an accredited technician, Apple technician, iPhone technician, and it would typically cost more than just getting a new phone. So what happens, a lot of people throw away their device rather than get it fixed. It could be a small problem like a cracked screen. So what on May 15th, prosecutors in France are doing an official investigation into allegations that Apple is pursuing a business model of planned obsolescence. Now, this is a term that refers to designing a product 
in a way that it intentionally limits its lifespan. So it's it pretty much has like a, a lifespan of say about two years. That's typically what you see with the smartphone, where they want you to upgrade. So they're investigating Apple to see if they actually have this as part of their business model. It's not like oh the lithium batteries is kind of dying out. They're designing these these devices so that they die, so that we keep buying them. And I'm very, very interested to see the results of this investigation. But good on France because they've really been pushing the right to repair. They were the ones that created Europe's first repairability scoring system for devices. So when you buy, you can see the level of repairability on it. So I'm very, very impressed that they're taking on Apple head on. Uh, There was the... uh the old story about Apple, they agreed to pay $500 million to settle claims of intentionally slowing down old phones yeah. as well, which that was in 2020, I think. So that, that was the, that was the scenario where they were putting in programming, which would slow down the battery performance and make the device run slower, therefore encouraging you to buy, um, buy a new one. Planned obsolescence and programmed obsolescence are almost two different different scenarios planned obsolescence has been implied as being this notion that hey we're going to make sure that all of the stuff dies by this time or we slow it down or whatever but programmed obsolescence is that there's actually programming in there doing it deliberately yeah so the previous case typically what people would find is when you upgraded the ios you would notice that your phone just suddenly became slower the battery died quicker And the thing about it is you can't reverse it. You can't say, oh, I want to go back to the old OS. I made a mistake. And uh, that was one of the allegations that people noticed their device didn't really work. Or they make you upgrade. the. uh, This happened with my mom's iPad. She had an older iPad. And she's like, oh, this app's not working. So I went, said, oh, you need to upgrade to the new iOS. We did that. But then we tried to download an app. And it says, oh, your device is too old to get this app. And now what are you supposed to do, right? So you have to go and buy a new device. That's the programming version that you're saying. But I think we really need, like, do you know, remember when you could buy a fridge in like the 50s and 60s and that thing would still run today? They just don't make things to last. We talk about even typical electronics like televisions, dishwashers. They just don't last. And you wonder if these companies are doing that by design because they are cheap, but they just don't last so you end up buying more and more which just creates more and more garbage and waste well it's yeah garbage and waste and in some of the things we've learned here on the shift if you're interested in this go to our podcast you'll find it that not only that but it's the amount of new products that they're making and the some of the byproducts that come in the manufacturing process that don't make it to us that are also bad too one of the things that we've learned here on this conversation is that the supply chain of replacement parts is very expensive and you have to have parts spread out all over the country which seems weird in today's amazon world where if you need a new pair of socks they can they can get you socks in a day but you can't get a part for your for your fridge or your oven so that's a thing and the other part was there's a big battle over the copyright on the software to be able because so many different companies have different little bits of software that are running inside their parts and in order to fix those things, you have to have this copyright to do that and this copyright to get in there and all of those things as well. So there are more little battles happening around all this because it's not only as simple as taking out a battery and putting in a battery anymore. Although even that would be nice. <laughs> that would yeah. be nice. You know what's funny is I actually just happened to be yesterday. I have a beverage fridge that keeps beeping. And so I looked up online. They're like, oh, you got to turn it off or it's something to do with the, the control panel in there. And I am so scared, Shane, to like take this apart and fix it because these are little computers now. And it's just really hard to make a DIY fix for some of these things. But, you know, like what am I going to do? Throw this fridge out because it keeps beeping all the time. I put a smart uh, plug on it. So every time it beeps, I turn it off, let it cool down, turn it back on. But oh, I can't smart. keep this up. So uh yeah, well, this week I'm going to have to here. try to fix it. Control module for my desk, um, and the replacement part is $10. That's it. But you know what? The the part, it's not even screwed in. The circuit board that's inside, they've glued it to the inside. Oh, so yeah. I had one that worked, and I had but the little mounting prongs, plastic prongs broke, and I had one that didn't work, but the case was perfect. I couldn't even take the parts out, swap yeah. the parts, because the circuit boards are glued down. 
Like that's to me, there's no excuse for that. No, no. I, and this is this is a common thing I'm seeing, even with televisions. You know, they'll break and then you try to look at to fix it. It just takes too long to fix. Mm-hmm. Absolutely fascinating. HandyAndyMedia.com. Go there and uh, you can learn more about Andy. Follow the YouTube channel and uh, check out ShiftHeads.ca. Look forward to you shaving your hedges. <laughs> Thanks, Shane. Very excited about that. That's wild. This is the Shift Podcast. Are you, are you are you okay 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 are you okay with phone us let us know your thoughts text us 877-399-9898 that number works for both and if you ever forget it shiftheads.ca has it nice and clearly for you to find and give to us your text messages and your thoughts on these stories are you okay with finders keepers Oh, absolutely. Except when you're a kid and you play Finders Keepers too much and you basically mm-hmm. just use it as an excuse to steal each other's stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. that doesn't really work when you get older. It's not quite as fun, is it? I think so. I, I, th- I, I like the rest of that, 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 that song, Finders Keepers. What comes next? Finders Keepers, Losers. Why can't I think of it? Come on, Brie. Finders keepers, losers, creepers, weepers, weepers. That's it. Oh, or man. just this. Okay. Well, I mean, some things. If you lose them, yeah. I mean, sure, someone else can keep them, unless you're the person who lost it. Yeah. Like, I can't find my sunglasses right now. I really wish I could have my sunglasses back. If you happen to find them, please let me know. That'd be awesome. Which ones? My my Tom Ford's. Mm, oh, Ooh. <laughs> oh, that yeah. sucks. Yeah, and I love them too. Yeah, that's yeah. I had them. Fred and I went out for drinks last weekend, and then I couldn't find them. And, and then I, I I had them when I left, and and then now I can't find them here. So I went into the car mm. today. We opened up my like these are the glasses that are so beautiful that I take them off. They go back in the case. They never sit anywhere. I can't find them. Did you check the driveway because that's where your AirPods were. Yeah, no, I didn't. Um, but the um, no, uh, yeah, no, they wouldn't be there. I would see them. Although now I'm probably going to go check just to be sure now that you said that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Two cashiers are in big trouble after they tried to play finders keepers with a lotto ticket. Workers at a Lakeville store are accused of scheming to steal a $3 million lottery jackpot. The Plymouth County DA's office says 23-year-old Carly Noons took the victim's winning ticket after he forgot it at the register. The DA's office says another employee, 32-year-old Joseph Redham, drove Noons to Mass Lottery headquarters to cash it. Lottery officials got suspicious because the winning ticket was torn and burned and reported hearing Redham arguing with Noons over splitting the jackpot. A grand jury indicted both Noons and Redham today. The DA's office says the rightful winner has been located. Um, <laughs> torn and burned? Yeah, I, I tried to find out if they had any idea why, but there's no indication. My guess is that they felt incredibly guilty about it. Like one of them, it's like, man, this is wrong, stealing this guy's lottery ticket. And then he tried to burn it. And then the other person's like, stop, no, we're in on this. We're taking the money. And then they, you know, had like a fight. So that that's my guess. Or they're just really careless with their with their lotto ticket. Yeah. Or yeah, that's quite the imagination there, big fella. Um mm-hmm. so how exactly did the find the original winner of this ticket by using screen grabs of surveillance videos and some flyers too? Yeah. Mm. Now here's the thing. <laughs> Is that it's a winning lotto ticket. Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming I assumed when I first found this story that what happened was is they came back to their lotto ticket right and and then left it there because they wouldn't have known it was a winning lotto ticket if he had just bought the ticket and left it behind that means they hung on to it right so i assume when the story came out that the the winner went there to get his ticket checked then just left it there but wouldn't they want to get their ticket back 
So I don't know. There's something stinky about this. Nearly a month later, they located the guy. February 13th, he was interviewed by investigators. They informed him he won a $3 million jackpot. If you burned that ticket and it was worth $3 million, like how do you live with that? Seriously. Oh, I, well, how do you live with yourself for doing that and like stealing it in the first place? The karma. Like I just would for the rest of my life, even with $3 million in my pocket, if I stole that, I would have like be looking over the, my shoulder every day. Mm. Well, $3 million. Yeah. But I mean, if so, the guy couldn't have known that he had won. It must have been a ticket that he purchased and then just left behind. Yeah. So uh, as far as I know, he bought a couple of them and then he scan uh went back but he couldn't find the other one where they had actually just kept it this, they stole it from him that's amazing to me uh yeah. okay all right um it's the shift i'm shane hewitt and uh, let's start this next little story here completely out of context and start with this clip subway bakes my bread up fresh and that's my way my way i get a combo seafood club the best way my Okay, um, that ad is very, very old. And before we get started in this, I would like to say that I remember not only that ad, I remember when Subway used to cut the tops of the bread only, and it was like a bowl because they'd pull out the top and then they'd fill everything in the middle and then they'd put the top back on. And then what? Mr. Sub came. Yep. They cut it. They cut it down on angles like this and they didn't cut it in half like they do today. They cut it down like this and they kind of peeled the whole thing out kind of like a bread bowl. That's, and that's then Mr. Sub came wrong. and Mr. Sub cut them in half normally. And everyone was like, well, that's dumb. Why would you cut your bread like that? And, but then they started toasting the bread and then all of a sudden Subway stopped cutting the bread bowl style cut and they started toasting their bread. But they used to cut like with the knife, they would cut down. I'm not the only one. Come I, on, shift heads. You remember this when Subway used to do this. This is before Ryan's time. They they used I, to do yeah, that. Yeah. Are, I, I just, I'm so like bamboozled by this information because mm-hmm. how how else do you cut a sub than than that way? Like, why would you keeps <laughs> all the, the stuff effort. inside? I, I see. I get that, but I can just imagine the poor subway worker just like ripping this thing. Yeah, apart they just use their fingers to, to fill it dig all. in there and kind of pull yeah. it all oh, out. Oh, no, Which, I by like the way, Mr. Subway. If you work in a sub shop, I just want to tell you that those gloves you wear are not for you to keep your hands clean. So don't use the same while the gloves are on. While you make my sub, then go grab the handle for the toaster dish and grab the mic, the, the the door for the toaster machine and slide it in, and then push the buttons with your gloves on, and then come back and do my veggies. That's not what the gloves are there for. The gloves are not there to keep your hands clean. The gloves are there to keep my sub clean, so you don't get your gross, slimy toaster oven button juice on my sub. I feel like that. I think we need to remind some people about that. They seem to have forgotten. Anyway, that was usually when we talk about food on Are You Okay, it makes me hungry. This is not that making didn't... me hungry at all. <laughs> no. All right. Well, this might. You never know. Um, are you okay with Subway? Surprise. <laughs> Subway. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, I still think Quiznos is far superior, but there's like one Quiznos left in the country. So I, you know, I don't get to have it very often. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's, it's fine in a pinch. And, you know, uh, if you're like trying to like, you know, if you're in a mall and you're trying to like watch your weight, you know, you can look at a subway and okay, I'll have fresh veggies on a sandwich that still has a bunch of cheese and sauces, but at least I won't be eating a cheeseburger with fries. And I'm grateful for subway in that, in that aspect for that. Yeah. Uh, cheese might be generous, but yeah, I agree. Um, and tuna. Okay. (laughs) A uh, tuna. Oh, don't start with the tuna. It's not tuna. It's not tuna. Um, Okay, uh, a thief in Chicago. Oh, boy, Ryan. That's a typo. Uh, A thief. A thief. Thief. I become I before E except after C. 
a thief in Chicago, a stealer in Chicago, has been arrested for robbing a subway, but his subway was a bit overcooked. According to police, a 20-year-old male, uh, uh, Abel, uh, Mr. Mr. Bekele, walked into a subway and told the cashier to hand over all the money or you'll be shot. The cashier, believing Mr. Bekele was holding a gun, opened the register, and Mr. Bekele took the money. Then, just after 10 p.m., Mr. Bekele walked into another subway and asked the clerk for the bread. As the sandwich shop employee cashier asked him to clarify what kind of bread he wanted. (laughs) 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 Oh, that's good. (laughs) Can you imagine what's going through that guy's head? Give me all the bread. And he's like, okay, how many loaves? She's the Italian. Oh, God. (laughs) I got the loaves. Would you like brown bread or white bread? Okay, bread. Mr. Bekele motioned towards his waist where the cashier believed he saw the handle of a handgun and told the employee to give him all the money. According to Mr. DeVitt, the cashier closed the register and ran to the back of the store. Mr. Bekele walked out. Ah, run. Uh, Chicago police officers arrested Mr. Bekele in the 3700 block of North Wayne about 35 minutes later, just in case you know where that is. We thought we'd throw that in there. Uh, police yeah, told CWB Chicago he was wearing exactly the same clothes the robber has seen wearing on videos uh, from the subways that he robbed. Give me all the bread. <laughs> oh, God, that just made my day. That is so good. That's spectacular, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> just spectacular. Oh, that's beautiful. Okay, um, bum, bum, bum. are you okay with Taylor Swift? Now, T-Swift? Now, here's the thing. New Music Monday early on a Tuesday morning is uh, us bringing some new things that we discover. And sometimes they're not new to everybody. Uh, but sometimes they are new to a lot of people. It doesn't mean they're new-new. It just means that they're, 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 they're new. You see, that's the catch. New is very relative, right? New is kind of like more or better. It doesn't have to be good. It just means it's better, right? And so uh, more is not necessarily a lot, and it's not necessarily enough, but more is just more. So new Music Monday with Taylor Swift uh, just means it's new. doesn't mean it's great. Um, but... <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying that Talia Miller. So Talia is filling in for Jono and the, Talia jump on here. The, um, so Taylor Swift is, uh, your favorite, right? Hands down. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Okay. So Talia's playlist is, uh, of all Taylor Swift here on new music money early on a Tuesday morning, just for fun, because, um, it was, I, I had to bribe her to come and stay up this late. She's normally on the evening show. Uh, were you as surprised as I was to watch Ryan O'Donnell singing these songs in the background? Like, have you noticed what's going on here? I am living for this. Ryan is my yeah. new best friend. And Ryan, if you want to yeah. come with me to the tour, you're more than welcome. Yeah, if I can find like $11,000 to stand in the nosebleeds to watch Taylor Swift. Ours like, wasn't hey, that much. It was about no? 180 you... Canadian. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's, that's pretty good. I think that's actually. decent for a stadium tour. Yeah. Okay. So I got to interrupt this before this gets out of control, just to be clear. Um, So Ryan is not only singing along to these songs. He is dancing ecstatic in his chair. When we brought this idea up, Ryan was like, oh, my God, you've got to play whatever that first song was. I forget. Style. Style. Thank you. Style. Style. And not only did he sing along, he was dancing and bopping along to this. I have learned if you listen to the shift regularly, if you're new, hello. Welcome. But if you've been listening to The Shift for a long time, you know Ryan loves sad music. It's probably one of the reasons why he connects to Taylor Swift. But here's the thing, is that Ryan loves The Smiths. Like, The Smiths are his favorite band of all time. Mm-hmm. I, I think that it's possibly just like a mask. And either he really loves sad music, or The Smiths oh, are his disguise and distraction for his secret love affair with Taylor Swift. And it's all taste with. Look, I see where you're going from there. But you have to remember, I like everything. Like, my most listened to artists go from, you know, the Smiths to, like, uh, you know, New Order. And then we have Death, like a death metal band. Then we have Judas Priest. And then we have probably Tears for Fears. I like a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. But Taylor Swift is interesting because she makes really good pop music. That's just, that's just, 
that's just it. She makes good pop music. And when I was a kid, that she was like at her peak. Well, no, she wasn't at her peak, but she was putting out these songs that were like anthems, and everybody knew each lyric. And it was not everybody a phenomenon. That's reckless. But in my classrooms, yes, absolutely. And even if you didn't, and that was the thing too, the jocks would know the song lyrics. You go to a club right now full of millennials, they all know the lyrics. They'll they'll try to hide it, but they know it and <laughs> because the songs are good and they're funny. I swear. I swear. This, they'll this try is to 100% hide it. correct. Oh, yeah. God. And so look, do I put on the occasional Taylor Swift song without any fear or, or any shame? Yeah, sure. Is she going to be in my top 10 most listened to no but anytime love story style out of the woods any of the times those come on yeah it's a banger it's a bop it's a bop and a half wow um that's that's incredible i you have pointed a picture for me in my head that um is uh surprising actually of of all of this um what you know the christmas movie what's the christmas movie that's not a christmas movie it's got Hugh Grant in it. Uh, Love Actually. Love Actually. You just made me think yeah. of Love Actually when Hugh Grant gets voted to be prime minister and he starts dancing by himself um, <laughs> in his in his room at 10 Downing Street or whatever. That's the image that just mm-hmm. went through my head of Ryan O'Donnell and T-Swift. That's my energy. Right? Mm. Yeah, that's 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 fair. That's, that's very fair. I do uh, have 1989 on vinyl. Oh, my God. I feel like I like I at I, HMV when that came out, man. It was see, all the rage. I feel like this is like I feel like I've been tricked here. Some tomfoolery's been happening about who is Ryan O'Donnell. Like I feel like now I mean I'm excited that I feel like we're getting to know the real Ryan O'Donnell, but I'm asking myself, who is this guy for the last two and a half years has been on the shift? Maybe he doesn't even like sneakers. Uh I don't know. My monetary track record would beg to differ with that. I'd have to be pretty, pretty good at lying to hey, spend a lot of stupid people, money on sneakers, man. People will spend a lot of money to hide their secrets. I'm just saying. <laughs> it's maybe one of the things that's happening here. No? Nothing? Maybe. You'll never no. know. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.